Hola, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast with me, your host, Brandon Harper. Today is December 26th. It's a Sunday. The balmy 80 degrees outside. The dead of winter here in Corpus Christi. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job who has tons and tons of opinions. So I come here about once a week or two or three to get them off my chest. If there's one thing you'll learn about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. And I'm probably the only guy on the internet whose podcast has nothing to do with the title. Appreciate you tuning in. You don't have to like me. You just got to listen, and hopefully I open your mind to new opinions. Sit back, relax, and hand me the keys to the lawnmower for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. Well, I just returned from a what was supposed to have been a family Christmas, and I thought it was going to be nice to enjoy a good get-together, the old-fashioned way, with no masks, in people's homes, with no tests, and no testing, and no worry, but nope, it did not happen. So my original plan was to go to Fort Worth, but stop along the way and spend two nights with my buddy Steven. And I did that. And we hung out and had a good time and cooked and ate and drank and sat in the hot tub and did all the things we normally do. But the day that I was supposed to leave to go to Fort Worth, Stephen's wife tested positive for COVID. So in good little COVID boy fashion, I canceled my trip to Fort Worth because I didn't want the people there to be all worrisome. So that's what I did. Saved me about six hours of driving. But here we are with another family Christmas ruined by COVID reactions. I still maintain the fact that we don't have the statistics to justify all these extreme measures that we're taking. But what do I know? I'm just a former construction worker who now makes beer for a living. I'm not going to spend much more time COVID ranting. You know how I feel. So we'll just leave it at that. The first thing that I have on my list that I've been thinking about is the fact that there's a guy named George Soros. And I know a lot of you will know who he is, but some of you might not. And for the people who don't know who he is, he's a foreign business magnate from Hungary who's donated tons and tons of money to local political elections. And that might not be a crime, but it's worth looking into. I don't have any statistics in front of me, but if you do some research, you'll see that he's given millions and millions of dollars to different political action committees and also local uh, elections, including the district attorney. So the district attorney gets elected, and they have the ability to steer the, the legal system of a city in whatever direction they see fit. Obviously, they have to uphold the, the rules of the Constitution, but when it comes to little policies, they can actually head the city towards one direction or another. And George Soros has given millions of millions of dollars to these little local elections to get people elected that align with his, with his viewpoints. And his viewpoints are extremely liberal. He thinks that the government should be in charge of everything. He thinks that the people are not qualified to make their own decisions, that we're too stupid to know anything about the environment, that we're not capable of managing our own money. And so he would rather everyone pull it together, and then all the smart people in the world like him can decide where the money goes. Now, I'm the opposite of that. I think that people should have the right to make their own decisions and make their own choices 
and they should have the right to spend their money however they want to, even if we don't agree with it. But some recent proof of the way that cities are going is if you look at Houston, the crime rates in Houston have gone through the roof in just one year. Actually, I think it's been over the last two years. But either way, recently the crime rates have gone through the roof. And George Soros himself has poured millions of dollars into the district attorney election in Houston. And what that's led to is criminals being turned out. I've talked about it plenty of times, but criminals that that get charged with a crime, they don't get processed. They get released on what's called a PR bond or a personal reconnaissance bond. And all that means is that you'll come back or you say you'll come back on your court date. So instead of waiting time in the county jail or the city jail for your court date to arrive or having to post bail, which is normally, you know, whatever the judge sets and you can get out by giving 10% of that to a bail bondsman, they've now, in their infinite wisdom, decided that we should just turn people loose. Now, they claim that this is because COVID, but in reality, we went through what's called bail reform, and it actually changed the requirements on which offenders get let go back into the community. And all these convicts that have been busted for doing things have been let go, and they return to the same life of crime. They don't learn a lesson from going and spending a couple nights in jail. They're back at it again. And the word on the street gets out. Hey, you can do crime and you don't get caught. Nothing happens. So people start to do more and more crime. Now, I don't know if George Soros specifically wants crime to take place, but it's all part of a bigger plan, in my opinion. Creating a, a disaster in order to provide a solution is actually a thing. You think about back in the day, the guy who goes over to his girlfriend's house to study, quote unquote. And he stays over for a while. One thing leads to another. They have some wine. The studying stops and the fun stuff starts. And when the guy leaves, either that night or the next morning, he decides to leave his books behind. That way he'll have a reason to call her and meet up with her again or maybe go back and get his books. Now, I know that's kind of a cheesy example, but this is a tactic. And we use it from the bottom to the top. This includes all the CEOs of all the big companies. This includes everyone that that has a reason to gain something from a change in a political system. I just think it's worth you looking into this situation and coming up with your own conclusion. Do you think that super wealthy people should have the ability to control the way our economy goes and the way our legal system goes just by influencing politicians? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think state and local elections should allow outside money. I know that's tough. It's tough to manage and it's tough to follow. But you took look at the election of uh, when Beta O'Rourke ran against Ted Cruz and he raised like $70 million or, or maybe it was $170 million. I can't remember the exact number. But it was the most money that a governor had ever raised for a state election. And he lost. And all that money went to waste. And most of it came from outside places. California, New York, those places, they don't allocate money to their local elections because they know they're going to win. So they take that money and they give it to states who need help, in their opinion, which would be Texas, because we're a red state. And they want to turn the red states blue. So they take all their money and send them to the states that would need help in order to overturn the Republican history. In my mind, that's not right. We should stop that. And typically, this idea or this notion of setting a group of people in charge who collect resources and redistribute them at their own accord is a liberal mindset. It's a, it's a policy of, of we need to take the money in and we can distribute it because we know better than you do. 
And so if you look at the whole political spectrum, all the way from the left, all the way to the right, the notion of taking in resources and redistributing them is applicable. Even all the far right people think that we should still take in money for roads, bridges, hospitals, etc. And the people on the far left think that communism is the best way, where the government should just own everything, every business, take all the money in and distribute it. So wherever you fall is somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. And recently, I've had some friends turn on me because everyone knows that I'm right-leaning. Typically, my viewpoints align with the Republicans. I would never classify myself as a Republican, but I do think that my, especially my fiscal viewpoints align with the right. They're conservative values. But I'll be the first to admit that I try to evaluate each topic from a non-political perspective. So I don't evaluate it from a standpoint of, oh, well, that's what Fox News says, and I'm, I'm on the right, so that's what I agree with. I dissect each topic. And I understand that where I fall on that spectrum, even though it's on the right side of it, it might not be in line with some of the other people who call themselves Republicans. And I'm perfectly okay with that. So a specific example that I'm talking about is uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw. Whenever he first came on the scene, I was excited. The right was excited. He was a, a former Navy SEAL operator, lost an eye in battle. And he promised to do big things. He promised to you know, stand for Republican or conservative principles, rather. And he talked a big game. And since he's gotten elected, he's done the opposite of, of the things he said he was going to do. And so a lot of my friends who, you know, they identify politically with me, don't understand why I've turned on him. And, I, and my whole point, I could go into all the details as to what he said and what he's done, but you can go look that up. That's all in his voting records. My whole point is that even on the right side of the spectrum, there are still people who feel like that they know better than the public and that they can make decisions. And, and a lot of these decisions that Dan Crenshaw has supported, to me, they prove that that's how he is, that he actually thinks that he can, he can make better decisions than the public. And while I'm not a huge fan of an open democracy, I think individual decisions and individual choices should be left alone as much as possible. And so, I don't know, it just reminded me this weekend when I was with a bunch of friends who were big, you know, they had Dan Crenshaw supporters. And I don't mean to, to sound cocky or arrogant, but I, I don't think that they do the research that I do. They don't actually read in. They see headlines and they keep scrolling and they people are waving cheerleader pom-poms from the sidelines and everyone gets excited and they go to events and they donate money and rah, 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 but they don't actually look at his voting record. So this is one thing that's going to have to happen. If we want to see politics go the way of the voter, then the voter's going to be required to do their own research and decipher what's real, what's fake, what's good, what's bad. Because if you rely on the mainstream media outlets, they're just going to keep feeding us what we click on because that's how they make money. And I don't fault them for that. They're here to make profit. It's just, it's no one's job but the individual's to figure out what works and what doesn't. So one thing led to another, and I thought to myself, you know, how do we get around the idea that people get elected and then they do different than what they said they were going to do? And I know this is going to seem far-fetched and probably unrealistic for a lot of people, but artificial, artificial intelligence will be one of the things that gets us around this. And, and how that will work 
is that I've talked about smart contracts before. And what it is is just a, it's a series of if-then statements. And if, if one parameter gets met, then the next thing gets applied. And so that just continues just like you would in an Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of if-then clarifiers. And I think if we just break it down, something as simply as the COVID situation, if we'd had a protocol in place that was just a, an AI program that we all agreed on beforehand, so we're not in the heat of battle, this is way before anything happens, and we all say, okay, let's look at these statistics. Let's make up a fake scenario and say if a pandemic hits, when the death rates get to this, we do that. When the hospitalizations get to this, we do that. And so it's all sorted out beforehand. There's nothing that, that gets worked out when everyone's mad and people have things to gain, like these big pharmaceutical companies and big politicians and media conglomerates. And so if we could implement the route to beating it before it already happens, in my opinion, that's the best solution we can have. Because if the pandemic were to happen again tomorrow, we would all go through the exact same thing. We will have learned nothing, and people would probably come back with a more fierce and more aggressive attitude to support... Their political leanings. And that's not the way to get through it. We should have a protocol. We shouldn't be relying on unelected individuals like Dr. Fauci, who knows nothing about economics, to tell us what to do. Recently, or right before Christmas time, Fauci came out and he said that families should tell the unvaccinated that they're not welcome to come to Christmas. And, and that just blew my mind. Actually, it didn't. It's becoming norm. It's, it's just how these people think. But why not let people make their own decision? They're so dead set on making the decision for people. And, and this country is about freedom. We should have the choice. We know the dangers of an unvaccinated person. Why are we capable of letting them come to our house or not? We need some, some little twerp that's appointed by the president to, to tell us what to do. Like, one day, something's going to happen to Fauci. I don't know what it is, but karma will get him because I don't think what he's doing is good. And you can disagree if you want, and that's okay. Just don't be disagreeable about it. But going back to protocol, the whole AI thing is going to play a huge role. And I don't know how far, are we out, how far we are out from this. I would say maybe 15, 20 years, maybe even 30. But I think things like hospitals and car accidents and all these things that we'll have the data on, we will have, you know, the phones and the cars will know the movement. They'll know the speed. They'll know which light was green. They'll know who was supposed to turn, who was supposed to go. They know if someone's speeding. And so all that will just drop into a smart contract and then the ticket will be generated. And as scary as it sounds to have this much reliance on technology, I think it, it removes the possibility of corruption from the equation. So, you know, you, maybe you can't express your teary eyes as a girl to get out of a ticket, but that's fair. You really shouldn't be able to. You shouldn't be able to smile at a cop and bat your eyelashes and get away. So it's like I always say, with technology, we have to give up privacy. Or, or with convenience, we give up privacy. So we have, it's an inverse relationship. Just like freedom and safety, technology and privacy, or convenience and privacy, are inverse. So we collectively have to decide how much privacy we're willing to give up for convenience. And once again, that's a personal decision. Speaking of personal decisions, I can't say how frustrated I get when someone calls me and they say, hey, should I buy this stock? Hey, should I buy this cryptocurrency? 
And my response is, I don't know. What are your goals? And while most people can't tell me what their goals are, ultimately we know they want to make money on their investment. But investing is such a personal thing. And it's personal because we have the ability to set up a portfolio that makes it customized. So if you want all the risk in the world and you're not willing to, or you're not worried about how much you're going to lose, you're willing to lose it all, then I'd say go to Vegas and go to the roulette table and bet on red or black and just keep doing that until you either win it all or lose it all. Obviously, that's kind of extreme. But my point is, unless you sit down and know someone and you understand their priorities and their risk aversion, you can't make recommendations on what to buy or what to sell. The goal for someone who's advising investment should be to help the customer or the, the client figure out which investment is best for them, not tell them which investment to make. It should be to properly align risk with the investor's risk threshold. So with that in mind, if anybody wants some real investment advice, let me know and we can sit down and talk about things. But don't just text me or call me asking me which stock or which crypto to buy, bro. Speaking of bro, I got some Biden double talk here for you. This is from 2006. Uh, yesterday and tomorrow in the Rose Garden to talk about a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. You know, think about this. The world's going to Hades in a handbasket. We are desperately concerned about the circumstance relating to uh, avian flu. We don't have enough vaccines. We don't have enough police officers. And we're going to debate the next three weeks, I'm told, gay marriage a flag amendment, and God only knows what else. I can't believe the American people can't see through this. We already have a law, the Defense of Marriage Act. We've all voted, not or I voted, and others said, look, marriage is between a man and a woman, and states must respect that. Nobody's violated that law. There's been no challenge to that law. Why do we need a constitutional amendment? Marriage is between a man and a woman. What's the game going on here? Well, I hope you learned something from that. We just pretend like the internet doesn't exist. We just pretend like these clips aren't out there. And they do their best to hide them. I actually posted that same clip on my Facebook feed, which I don't do too often, but I like to do it every now and then for an experiment. And so typically if I post a little Facebook rant or I give some kind of commentary, I'll get anywhere from like 15 to 25 likes or little reactions, sometimes some comments, sometimes not. But with this particular video... I posted it, and I got one reaction. And that leads me to believe that Facebook doesn't want it to be seen. And that should be troubling. The idea that big tech is censoring us on our political viewpoints should have everyone terrified. Because I didn't make some video about some conspiracy theory that could lead to the Capitol being stormed. I just posted a video that's floating around on the interwebs for people to see with their own eyes. But for whatever reason, Facebook didn't like it. So not to mention the double talk that Biden was doing, I hope you could hear a difference in his voice and his enunciation and the way that he puts his words together and how good of a speaker he was back then compared to now where his brain is mushy, his mouth sounds like he's full of marbles and his tongue is numb and he can't stay awake. And you know what? We deserve the guy because we picked him. Or did we? Moving on to something a little bit more lighthearted. For those of you not from Texas, you might not remember, but in Texas last year, or this, this year in February, we had the Great Freeze. And a big cold front came through Texas, and it destroyed a lot of our electrical infrastructure. 
So for a few weeks, people didn't have power. And South Texas got hit pretty hard. Well, we got a power bill for that month that was extremely high. And I'll tell you how high it was here in a second. But the way the contract worked was that we were supposed to be a certain percentage above the cost of electricity. And the, the downfall of that was it would be it would fluctuate, but the upside was it would be cheaper. So if you locked it in, you'd get a certain rate for a certain amount of time. But we said, you know what? Prices haven't fluctuated too much. We're going to just roll the dice and maintain the margin above the cost. Well, after we signed the contract, and that it should have been before, but it was after, our attorney looked through it. And he said, guys, this contract is not valid. Uh, this is only for companies that have a net worth of over $20 million, which definitely is not the brewery. So I said, well, what should we do? Should we cancel it? And he said, no, you'll probably be okay. So we left it in place. Fast forward to the freeze. And what happens is the price of electricity goes through the roof where you could get it because it's a, it's a supply and demand equation. Those people who are willing to pay for it, they'll keep supplying it. They'll cut off those who have a contracted rate in order to supply the people who are willing to pay if the price goes through the roof. Well, we were one of those people. We never lost power, but we got a big, big bill. So right after it all happened, I knew it was going to be the case. I knew we were going to get a huge bill. So I called our attorney. He said, just cancel your contract, get out of it, move to a different provider. So that's what I did. Well, fast forward 10 months later, we get a letter from an attorney saying that for the month of February, we owe $62,500 for our electric bill. So to put that in perspective, typically our electric bill would have been between $1,800 and $2,000. So we're talking about 30X, our normal electric bill. Obviously, we don't have the money to pay that. So I called our attorney again, and I said, hey, man, what should we do? Here's the letter. He said, you know what? I'm just going to respond to a letter. We'll try to drag this thing out. Technically, the contract's no good because you guys aren't worth $20 bucks. So we'll just see where it goes. So that was the plan. He sent a letter to their attorney. And then that same day, he got a letter back saying, hey, we're looking to settle, uh, make us an offer. So he called me back and he said, hey, these guys want to settle. What do you want to offer? And I said, I don't want to offer anything. The contract says that it's not even valid. He's like, well, if you don't offer them something, then you could get tied up in court and you'd have to pay me and my fees to fight these guys. So I recommend you offer something. So... We offered him $500, and the attorney thought, well, we can try. I feel like they're going to laugh at you. Uh, they may get pissed and shut the book. Who knows? So I said, well, let's just go for it. So I called him, or he called back about three or four hours later, and he was like, man, you're not going to believe it. They took it. They took the $500. So we were able to settle up on a $62,000 electric bill for 500 bucks, And it was about dang time. We needed a break. We've been beat up by COVID for two years straight. So I don't feel guilty. We got duped into signing the contract. This is what bankruptcy court's for. Good luck to interest energy. Speaking of debt, I, I want to talk a little bit about debt. Uh, I've spent some time recently with some people who understand money. They know how investments work. They get it, but they are just terrified of debt. For instance, one of these guys was bragging because he just paid off his house. And I'm thinking to myself, why would you pay off your house? Like that, that interest rate is about as low as you can get. And the terms are for as long as you can get them. So you could take the money that you would use to pay off your house, invest that in something that returned a higher rate 
than what your house costs you for the money you borrowed, and you're going to come out ahead, and you're controlling another asset. And so I just think that the, the, the reason that this has happened goes back to the Great Depression. I think that the, our grandparents' generation, they all got hosed. Their parents lost everything. And so that lesson was so big and so great that the, the next round of advice was just save your money, save your money, pay off your debt, don't take more debt. Because they lost faith in the system. And I get it. I see that that, that could be the outcome or that's something to worry about. But times have changed a little bit, and debt is more secured now than it's ever been. And I'm kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Um, I think you should just take as much debt as they'll give you as long as you're investing it wisely. I don't advise that to anyone. I don't actually advise anyone because I'm not a financial advisor, so don't sue me, bro. But the psychology of debt has had a huge impact on, on the average American home's financial position because we just can't get over the fact that, that debt's bad and you're going to get overrun with debt and your debt's too high and you're not going to be able to make the payments. And once you understand that it's an integral part of doing business in a financial plan, maybe it wouldn't be so hard to swallow. But yeah, I don't know. I just saw a lot of it this weekend and I, I thought I'd talk about it. I mean, don't be scared of debt as long as it's good debt. I think a, a part of the problem too is that a lot of people don't know good debt and bad debt. They just see it as debt. And it's all about the cost of borrowing. All right, I'm going to quit rambling. I think that's going to wrap up today's show. I know it was a little bit shorter than normal. I've got some other things to talk about, but I think they're going to take a long time. So I'm going to reserve those for the next go around. I got a special guest I think that might be on the episode here in the next few days, or we'll have like a bonus episode. His name is Junior. I don't actually know his first name. I think it's Daniel. Yeah. He's sitting here listening to me right now. So he's visiting from, uh, well, he's originally from Poland, lived in England and worked there for a while, also goes back and forth to Turkey. So he's done quite a bit of traveling. He's been through Central America, been to Machu Picchu. And so I want to get him on here. He's got a really good perspective, uh, not only on what's happening in the world, but he understands what's happening in America more than a lot of Americans I know. And uh, so, yeah, he's going to be interesting. I might have him on here. We also might have him on the Old Dog New Tricks podcast with me and Harry. So stay tuned for that. And now Junior and I are going to go eat some dinner. So I appreciate you listening. Life in Paradise podcast. Go out there. Be brave. Do some research. Don't comply. Don't be afraid of debt. Hold the door open for old ladies. Buy something from a homeless person who's selling it. And give money away every now and then. Thanks again for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Keep it tranky low.
Ну и сосуд